WBAI New York. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was an expanded edition of Radio, I mean, Revolutions Per Minute, which is heard usually uh, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. We had an Earth Day special for that program. You can always tune in on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. for that program. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News coming up. It is now 6 p.m. Stay tuned. Good evening. We celebrate Earth Day. I'm Paul DiRienzo, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, April 22nd, 2019. Donald Trump issued on Monday an Earth Day proclamation that omitted any mention of climate change or the cavalcade of environmental threats posed by deforestation, species loss, and plastic pollution. The president chose instead to praise the benefits of a strong market economy. In response, one leading climate scientist said Trump's environmental policy was in many cases the antithesis of protection. The executive director of the Sierra Club said Trump was the worst president for the environment our nation has ever had. Trump praised the abundant beauty and life-sustaining bounty of the American environment, but did not echo growing warnings from scientists over rising temperatures or the precipitous decline of many species. Environmental protection and economic prosperity go hand-in-hand, Trump said in his message for Earth Day, a global event held to support environmental protection annually since 1970. A strong market economy is essential to protecting our critical natural resources and fostering a legacy of conservation. My administration is committed to being effective stewards of our environment while encouraging opportunities for American workers and their families. Trump added, at the same time that our nation is experiencing historic economic and job growth, our air and water quality ranks among the highest in the world. He stated that his administration had expanded support for conservation of land, water, and wildlife. Last year, U.S. government scientists issued a thousand-page climate change assessment that warned the country faces hundreds of billions of dollars in economic losses due to rising temperatures, flooding, and wildfires. Thousands of Americans are expected to die in worsening heat waves with disease Diseases such as West Nile, dengue fever, and Lyme set to expand in range and temperature as temper, expand in range as temperatures rise and rainfall patterns change. The fact that they're not mentioning what many consider to be the gravest existential threat facing humanity is a good indication of the priorities of this administration," said Andrew Dessler, a climate scientist at Texas A&M University. He said, the clear priority of the administration is extracting unsustainable short-term profits from the environment, which is in many cases the antithesis of environmental protection. This is not surprising. Michael Brune, executive director of the Sierra Club, called Trump the worst president for the environment our nation has ever had, adding he has regularly and consistently prioritized the profits of corporate polluters over clean air, clean water, and the health of our communities. Trump has routinely disparaged climate scientists and and has attempted to dismantle every major policy aimed at lowering planet warming emissions, favoring a watered-down alternative his administration admits would cause an extra 1,400 deaths a year from air pollution. In June 2017, he announced the withdrawal of the U.S. from the Paris climate deal. The administration has thrown open vast tracts of public land and almost 
all U.S. waters to oil, gas, and coal mining, remove protections from some prized landscapes, and scrap rules that stop mining waste from being dumped in rivers. Trump, who recently erroneously claimed that wind turbines cause cancer, has repeatedly stated the U.S. has some of the cleanest air and water in the world. In fact, while U.S.'s air is generally far healthier than growing economic powers such as China and India, the American Lung Association has pointed out that four in ten Americans still live in counties where harmful levels of smog exist. Millions of Americans are also exposed to drinking water containing industrial chemicals, while lead in water remains a widespread issue five years after the notorious contamination in Flint, Michigan. And in New York, Governor Andrew M. Cuomo marked Earth Day on Monday by signing into law a measure banning most single-use plastic bags, making New York the third state in the nation to enact a statewide bag policy. The ban, which goes into effect in March 2020, prohibits retailers that collect sales tax, including supermarkets and small businesses, from handing out disposable plastic bags, with a few exceptions. Garment bags, trash bags, and any bags used to hold certain foods, such as fruits and sliced meats, are exempt from the ban. Plastics used to wrap restaurant takeout food are also exempt. The State Department of Environmental Conservation will work with stakeholders and community leaders to ensure the ban does not disproportionately impact low and moderate income communities and to work with environmental groups to, uh, to distribute reusable bags. That's according to Cuomo's office. Counties or cities can opt to change to charge a five-cent fee for single-use paper bags. Three cents would go to the Environmental Protection Fund, while the other two cents will go to the locality to pay for distribution of reusable bags. California and Hawaii are the other two states that have banned single-use plastic bags. Assembly member Steve Engelbright, chair of the Assembly Environmental Conservation Committee, thanked Cuomo for signing the bill into law, noting that health impact of plastics in New York waterways. The governor had this to say. The average American family, 1,500 reuse, 1,500 plastic bags per year. The average length of use of the bag is 12 minutes. And this bag will outlive all of us in this room. Americans use 100 billion plastic bags per year, 12 million barrels of oil are used to make the plastic bags. New Yorkers, 23 billion plastic bags a year. Now, you see them every day because they never go away. You see them hanging in trees in some communities, like bizarre Christmas ornaments. You see them blowing down the streets. You see them in landfills. You see them in our waterways all over. I've been fishing 40 miles out to sea, and I found plastic bags. They're everywhere. And there's no doubt that they have, they're doing tremendous damage. By 2050, there will be more plastic by weight in the oceans than fish. Just think about that. How frightening is that? So, it makes no sense. So just stop, right? This is not a major inconvenience. We can provide bags that are reusable. Just stop. Yeah, just stop. But change is hard. 
You know, change, we all say we like change, we want change, change is good. Yeah, but we really don't want change. Change uh, is, is traumatic. We like control. You know, the husband and wife sitting at the breakfast table in the morning, and the wife looks at the husband and says, you know, things have to change. And he looks back and says, oh, I know, things have to change. Yeah, they're each talking about the other one. You know, we want to continue doing what we're doing. So the banning of plastic bags has been something that we have fought for years, literally. But think about it. It is a minor inconvenience. We can provide bags that are reusable. When you go to the store, you use the reusable bag, and you bring it home. That's it. Well, then I have to remember that you bring the reusable bag. Yes, like you have to remember to go to the store, and you have to remember to bring your keys, and you have to remember to find a way to get there, and you have to find, bring your wallet or your purse to pay, and don't forget the phone, because you can't go anywhere without the phone. So yes, you have to remember to bring the reusable bag. But in the, in the scope of life, it is such a trivial, trivial thing to do, especially when it's doing such damage. Uh, and this bag issue is not in isolation. Uh, you would have to be blind not to see what's going on with our environment. Uh, you would have to be blind not to see the effect of climate change. You'd have to be blind not to see extreme weather everywhere literally on the television, internationally. Uh, you'd have to literally live in a state of denial to say, well, none of this is happening. This is just circumstantial and cyclical. Cyclical, baloney. We are literally destroying the planet. And we know it. We see the changes. But change is hard especially change when people are in patterns and changing the way people live their lives. But that's what we have to do. And we don't even have a choice. And that's why New York State is not just like any other state, he says with New York arrogance. New York, by history, by our legacy, we always led on the tough problems first. You look at all the major reforms, all the major issues, many of them started right here in New York. New York started the social rights movement, the economic rights movement, the civil rights movement, the gay rights movement, the women's rights movement. That all started here. Workers' rights started here. Child labor laws started here. Worker protection laws started here. The environmental movement started here on the Hudson River at Storm King. That's where it started. And New York has always been a state of firsts. Our theory has been expose the problem and then lead the way on the solution. Even on the Department of Environmental Conservation was started here on Earth Day, 1970, before the federal government ever set up an environmental agency. So happy birthday to DEC, Commissioner Sager. And that's Governor Andrew M. Cuomo of New York State.
New York is posed to pass the Climate and Protection Act. The, pardon me. New York is posed to pass the Climate and Community Protection Act, the CCPA, which provides for the Department of Environmental Conservation to develop a scoping plan to reduce emissions from nearly all sectors of the economy, including energy, transportation, buildings, industrial, commercial, and agricultural areas. Daniela Lapidus is a coalition organizer for New York Renew, a coalition of 170 statewide organizations that support the bill, which is in many ways the state's version of the Green New Deal proposed at the national level by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The state law would be a sweeping attempt to end the state's addiction to oil and carbon-based fuels. Lapidus spoke with WBAI earlier today. So the Climate and Community Protection Act is a bill that would move New York um, off of fossil fuels. And we're talking about New York's whole economy, not just electricity, but also um, how we power our transportation options, how we power our buildings. Uh, we're moving New York's economy to a renewable future, and we're making sure that along the way there are certain standards that make sure that green jobs are good jobs that uh, pay a family-supporting wage, and also that we're investing resources today in communities that have historically um, faced more pollution, more exposure to climate risk, uh, and different forms of economic and racial injustice. What do you mean by uh, carbon-free? What would that mean? Well, how, what would that entail? There are a lot of ways to get there, and the thing is, is that the CCPA um, basically kicks off a planning process that involves state agencies and involves lots of different stakeholders, experts, communities. So the CCPA doesn't say this is exactly how we get to a renewable economy by 2050. It says we must all come together at a table and make sure we're all unified and working towards the same goal. Um, but, you know, some of the basic concepts of decarbonization are often like electrifying a lot of the processes that we use and then cleaning up uh, the grid from which we get our electricity. Um, it involves a lot of energy efficiency and conservation. Um, it involves, uh, you know, expanding our public transit options, a lot of things that just improve day-to-day -day life for New Yorkers. Are you finding some resistance in some parts of the state? People across the state talk about climate impacts that happen in their region in different ways, like whether that's extreme winter weather that they're seeing more often in Buffalo, whether that's the ongoing impacts of Sandy and Long Island, um, whether it's the flooding that's been consistently happening in the Hudson Valley. Um, like representatives from a lot of parts of the state and communities for sure have been seeing the impacts of climate change. So I don't think it's a particularly regional issue to fight for this bill. Right. So is this going to, so you're not being, you're not presenting a specific plan specifically saying, let's say windmills or um, solar power or anything like that, but you're talking about bringing people together to start discussing it. Passing the CCPA would be one first step to getting New York to achieve all these climate and sustainability goals. It sets an overall target that we're moving off fossil fuels, that we're making sure green jobs are good jobs, and that we're prioritizing investment in vulnerable communities along the way. And when we have that unified goal set into law, we can motivate all these stakeholders at the table to act in a way that will get us there. But no, it doesn't spell out the specific path. It does set out interim targets, though. You would cut back on the state's use, for example, of natural gas as well. Natural gas is a fossil fuel-based resource, and in the plan of the CCPA, it would be uh, ultimately eliminated and replaced with more renewable sources of powering all the things that it powers now. Now, what about nuclear? Because New York is a very nuclear state. Even though we're closing down uh, Indian Point, there's still several other plants going, and New York gets a good percentage. The, the governor has said in the past that he feels that nuclear is carbon-free. Uh, what do you stand on that? Our 
Commission actually doesn't have a, a specific, um, like, unified position on nuclear because we are just so large. Uh, imagine working with any coalition of 170 members, but we really believe that um, those are those are parts and details of a larger plan that can be hashed out as soon as we pass the Climate and Community Protection Act and start moving to this framework of decarbonizing our economy. Where is it in the uh, legislature, and has it passed? Is it going to be passed? Is it in committee? What's happening with it? It's a really exciting time for the CCPA. We have really strong support in the Assembly. Both the Speaker of the Assembly and the Leader of the Senate have called out the Climate and Community Protection Act as the way forward on climate for New York this year. Uh, We have a majority of sponsors in the Senate. They just got done with the budget process, and now their attention can turn to other issues. We've heard a lot of affirmation from both Assembly and Senate leaders that they want to pass the Climate and Community Protection Act this year. Um, Obviously, the governor has shown enthusiasm for acting on climate in a big way this year as well. Um, So we really think 2019 is the year to pass the CCPA. Do you expect it to come to a vote this year? We expect um, it to come to a vote and to pass this year. How does it relate to the uh, Green New Deal as uh, AOC has put forward and other people are talking about a Green New Deal at a national Green New Deal sort of at a national level I guess but how does that relate to the call for a Green New Deal So the Green New Deal conversation on a national level has done a lot in terms of communicating to the mainstream public that climate solutions need to really prioritize the jobs and justice pieces of it, right? And even before this broke through the national level, the New York Renews Coalition has been here tirelessly working for several years to pass this bill that embodies the values of climate, jobs, and justice. So we're excited about all this growing momentum um, for that concept, and we hope that by passing the Climate and Community Protection Act, um, we can show other states that are considering moving to a renewable future um, that they can keep those values strong in their policies as well. So you haven't had any problems with the EPA and Donald Trump and the rest of the feds who seem to hog wild against this idea? While the president and the federal administration are so um, toxic for, for our health and for our climate safe future, it becomes even more important for states like New York to act. And Governor Cuomo, um, he often talks about being a climate leader and having a justice agenda for his year. And the CCPA and the New York Renews Coalition really do represent the climate justice agenda for New York State. By passing this bill this year, we can show other states you don't have to wait for the federal government to act. You can lead the way alongside us. Anything you would like to add? We encourage everyone to to get involved in this last push for the Climate and Community Protection Act. Honestly, the most important thing anyone can do is contact their state assembly member and state senator and urge them to bring the Climate and Community Protection Act to a vote as soon as possible. Daniel Lapidus is coalition organizer for New York Renew. Today is Earth Day, which began on April in April of 1970 and has since been observed annually throughout the world. It started in response to a massive offshore oil spill from an oil well blowout near Santa Barbara, California in 1969. The first Earth Day celebrations took place in 2,000 colleges and universities, roughly 10,000 primary and secondary schools, and hundreds of communities across the United States. Senator Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin was an early backer and supporter of Earth Day and the reforms sparked by the movement that led to the foundation of the Environmental Protection Agency and the passage of the Clean Water and Clean Air Acts. That began the, envir- that began the environmental movement in the United States. Another founder of Earth Day was Dennis Hayes. He's from New York. Here are some clips from a speech by Nelson and a brief interview with Hayes conducted by Greta Van Susteren on C-SPAN. The battle to restore a proper relationship between man and his environment, between man and other living creatures, 
will require a long, sustained political, moral, ethical, and financial commitment far beyond any commitment ever made by any society in the history of man. Are we able? Yes. Are we willing? That's the unanswered question. Dennis Hayes, have we answered that last question? Oh, I think beyond any doubt we have, Greta. Uh, there, there was a, a, a true transition in the public consciousness with regard to the environment in 1970, and things that were unthinkable in 1969 became unstoppable in, in the wake of that first Earth Day with 20 million participants. In the first five years after Earth Day, we passed a Clean Air Act, a Clean Water Act, an Endangered Species Act, a Toxic Substances Control Act, a Marine Mammals Protection Act, literally a, a wave of legislation, created an environmental protection agency, and began to change the way that, that America does business. What sparked this movement? Remind viewers what happened in 1969. Well, there were a number of things that began to create this vague consciousness that, that there was something going wrong with the direction of the country, that there was a disconnect between the growth of gross domestic product and, and what was giving people satisfaction. Uh, there were lots of little things. Uh, it began with uh, Rachel Carson's writing Silent Spring. Uh, it, it dealt with the Santa Barbara oil spill, showing that even the most elite communities cannot escape the effects of pollution. A series of thermal air inversions that gave uh, air pollution uh, so badly in several American cities that kids could not go outside for recess. We, we've sort of forgotten today, but in 1969, the air in Pittsburgh, Gary, Indiana, Los Angeles, is like the air in Shenzhen, or New Delhi, or Mexico City today. Uh, the Cuyahoga River caught on fire. The Great Lakes were dying. The bald eagle was an endangered species. I mean, all of this stuff, each of them independent threads. What, what Earth Day did was to weave that all together into the concept of environmentalism and turn it into the fabric that today has become an important part of American life. How did you get involved? Uh, well, in the earliest stages of this, Gaylord Nelson, who was perhaps the first prominent person to recognize that, that there was something ready to happen, uh, thought that he would launch it with a college teach-in. I was at that point a graduate student. Um, up where I was at the time at Harvard, I hadn't heard anything about this, so with the arrogance of youth, I flew down to Washington and asked if uh, he had any... I got a 15-minute courtesy interview with a senator and, and offered to coordinate Harvard. It turned out he didn't have anyone coordinating Harvard or Cambridge or Boston or Massachusetts. It was... It was the concept that this would be a good thing to do. So I went back with the charter to organize Boston, and a few days later his chief of staff called me and asked me if I'd come down and organize the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we took it off of college campuses, out into communities, rechristened it from environmental teaching into Earth Day, and, and it began to explode. I want to show our viewers uh, the senator's Earth Day speech in 1970, a little bit of it. He talks about his goals for environmentalism. I don't think there's any other issue viewed in its broadest sense, which is as critical to mankind as the issue of the quality of the environment in which we live. You hear the word ecology, that's a big science, not a narrow one. It's a big concept. And it is concerned with all the ramifications of all the relationships of all living creatures to each other and their environment. It is concerned with the total ecosystem, not just how we dispose of uh, tin cans, bottles, and our garbage. 
It is concerned with the habitat of marine creatures, animals, birds, and man, and our goal is not just an environment of clean air and water and scenic beauty while forgetting about the worst environments in America, in the ghettos, in the Appalachians, and elsewhere. Our goal is an environment of decency, quality, and mutual respect for all human beings and all other living, living creatures. When you think about where we are today, how much has been accomplished? Um, well, you have to think about it at, at different levels. In, in terms of this nation, well, there is an enormous amount left to be done, particularly in those disadvantaged communities that Gaylord was talking about at the end of his statement. Uh, we've made spectacular progress. The air in our cities now is clean. We can actually eat the fish that we catch in our streams. We can go swimming in them. Um, globally, the big issues have proven to be quite untractable. Uh, we, we, when, when there's something that requires enforcement and it's international, it, it bumps into sovereignty. Even the International Criminal Court has difficulty getting the United States and other countries to make themselves subject to it. Um, we did have a spectacular success on banning chlorofluorocarbons and starting now to heal the ozone hole. But the big issue for 2020, climate, is one in which things have just persistently gotten worse. For 250 years, every year we've produced more carbon dioxide than the year before. Um, last year was the highest ever. And ironically, tragically, since there has grown a scientific consensus about the impact of man on climate change, that rate of carbon dioxide production has actually increased. There has been more CO2 poured from human activities into the atmosphere since James Hansen back in 1988 made his famous comments to Congress than in the previous 65 million years of human existence. And that was environmental activist Dennis Hayes, and before that, Senator Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin. They were the founders of Earth Day in 1970. And that's some of the news for Monday, April 22nd, 2019. The news was engineered by Reggie Johnson. For the WBAI Evening News, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for joining us. If I had a hammer, I'd have a Friday, May 3rd, is the 100th anniversary of the birth of the legendary musician and activist Pete Seeger. Pete had a rich history over the years with WBAI among many organizations, and we will celebrate his life on that day with special programming from 9 a.m. till midnight. Programs with him from our archives and others ranging from the early 60s to 2013, conversations with people who had connections to him and lots of his music and wisdom. If you're a Pete fan or want to know more about him, you won't want to miss it. So once again, Friday, May 3rd, a celebration of Pete Seeger here on WBAI from 9 a.m. till midnight. This is Heidi Bogosian from Law and Disorder. April 25th marks the 102nd anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. Article 301 in Turkey essentially makes genocide an illegal word to use, a term. If you don't have the word, 
it doesn't exist. Tune in Wednesday, April 24th, for Law and Disorder's annual one-hour special commemoration of the genocide. That's Wednesday, April 24th at 1 p.m. right here on WBAI 99.5 FM, New York. Here are some words that matter to all of us at WBAI. Listener-supported, commercial-free, resistance radio. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm host of Heart of Mind. Please take a minute to consider what your radio landscape would look like without this station. At WBAI, we consider you a part of our vital community, a vital cog in our radio wheel. At WBAI, we keep it grassroots. We're powered by your generosity, not corporate interests. Remember to donate by visiting give2wbai.org or pledge right now from your smartphone by texting WBAI to 41444. We thank you in advance. Hi, I'm Dr. Mambo. WBAI and World of Jazz Radio is celebrating International Jazz Day, April 30th, featuring New York's international jazz musicians banding together for a fabulous cause. Celebrating International Jazz Day. Join us at Milk River, 960 Atlantic Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. Again, that's April 30th, International Jazz Day. This is Dr. Mamba from World of Jazz. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. We continue on with our Earth Day programming here at WBAI by focusing on a Goldberg Williams Earth Earth Day documentary. And we're going to listen 